Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. This season, the world's biggest football podcast network is even bigger. Alongside our three weekly episodes of Totally and the two Totally Football League shows, we've got three episodes of the all-new Athletic Football Podcast with Mark Chapman. Adam Hurry's football cliches will now be with you on Mondays and Wednesdays. There'll be two lots of Michael Cox on our Tactics podcast and we've revamped our FPL and women's football shows. Our Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea and Tottenham club podcasts are now twice a week. And don't forget, we've also got our TIFO, Offside Rule and Football Manager shows too. There are also amazing new series with both Kelly Cates and Jackie Oatley coming up later in the year, so stay tuned for those. You can listen to all of these podcasts across our network in all the usual places or ad-free on The Athletic app. The Athletic, the world's biggest football podcast network. Another Totally Football Show. Today, stop your grinning and drop your linen and get ready to start your winning because it's the opening weekend of the season. We look at big dreams, big opening day disappointments, what happened at Windsor Park, Rafa on the other side of Stanley Park, a big year for bees, a quiet one for armpits and can anyone stop Man City? All that and much, much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Here we are then, listener, and today on Totally, it's a big hello to Dom Fifield. Hi, Dom. Hi, James. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. Tom Williams, how are you? Very well, thanks, James. I would ask you how you are, but you've already answered to Dom, so True. I won't. True. Natalie Jedra, your state of affairs? Hola, James. It's been long. Happy to be back. Well, yeah, you had a busy summer, of course, didn't you, Natalie? Yes. Yes, in Brazil. Um, <laughs> and, you know, not least with the Olympics and stuff, which I'm sure you were all over. Yes, yes. I was I was following uh, a lot because we are very enthusiastic with our Olympic uh, players. But I was following tennis, actually. I did Roland Garros and then I did Wimbledon. So it was for ESPN worldwide. So it was very, very busy, but happy to be back at football. Excellent, excellent. Of course, uh, the last week's been really marked by the the big transfer news. Massive name going to Paris. And I'm referring to you, Tom Williams, (laughs) the new face of Premier League football on Canal Plus. So you're going to be appearing to French viewers in French. Uh, yes, yes. I've actually been doing this since the beginning of last season. This is not, this is not uh, hashtag breaking new news. Um, But yes, yeah. So I... Uh, go over to Paris once a week and attempt to talk uh, about uh, English football in French in a way that makes at least some sense. I'm basically the light relief. I'm the light relief. Right. Natalie, you won't know this, but talking about football in another language is unbelievably difficult. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. So Wednesday (laughs) night, it just so happens that I was at 
uh, wins apart for the European Super Cup, probably you know one of the biggest matches of the day. And I was doing it for Amazon Prime in Italy, and I must apologise to anyone who who was watching because when they said, "Can you be a?" I was a Touchline reporter, Bordo Campo. And nice. when they said, would you do it? I went, yeah, sure, I'll do that. I can talk to camera and I can talk Italian. What I didn't realise was I can't do the two things <laughs> at the same time. Uh, but but now everyone knows that. So there you go. Anyway, it was uh, it was tremendous fun to be there. We'll talk perhaps a little bit about Chelsea and the a game against Villarreal, which went uh, once again all the way uh, to penalties. But so much to discuss as we head into uh, the opening weekend of the season. It's a special moment, this, isn't it, for... I think everyone, you know, the the table virgin, like the first snowfall before people tramp their boots all over it. Everything's shiny and new, Dom. So much hope, so much hope. Yes. Give it 48 hours and it'll all be dashed. <laughs> Memories of 1994. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to mention 94. What happened for anyone who's not a Crystal well, Palace devotee? Palace had had one season back in the championship and they'd won the title, which is like Palace with silverware, which is pretty unheard of, really. And, and we made a, a big glamorous signing pre-season. We went into the home game against Liverpool on the opening day, and Liverpool were meant to be there for the taking. And it was 2-0 after 14 minutes to Liverpool, 3-0 at half-time. I remember when Chris Armstrong pulled one back early in the second half that I actually thought Palace might still get back into this, but it finished 6-1 to Liverpool. And our big signing of the summer, there's a quiz question here, uh, limped off at half-time and never appeared for the club again. So who was that signing? Did he go on to great fame in other clubs? He'd had great fame previously. I imagine he, you may have, James, you may have come into contact with him. He went on to manage subsequently. He was very much signed in the uh, veteran stage of his career. It was Ray Wilkins. Oh, really? Wilkins. Mm. Yeah. The late lamented Ray. Fabulous. Could have had a Baldy's double act with um, Lombardo. That was, was a few bit, years later, later, wasn't yes. it? That was a bit later, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about Baldy's uh, double act, though, Tom. Uh, crushing opening day defeat for that. you or for Natalie? The crushing opening day defeat, or the, the big opening day defeat that comes to mind, was was Man United uh, and Aston Villa at Villa Park, which was the first weekend of the ninety five ninety six season, which prompted the immortal Alan Hansen line about not winning anything with kids, and which taught an entire generation of football fans that actually losing your first game doesn't really matter um, as long as you manage to turn things around thereafter. So. Something to think about for anyone who finds himself feeling a bit crestfallen uh, after this weekend. All right. Natalie, you're always such a positive person. What would you say to supporters ahead of opening weekend? Um, I'm, I'm always so excited before the, the opening weekend, you know. Uh, we all miss it so much. But I think the main thing about opening weekend is that uh, you can rationalise as you wish but in the end, you're just going to laugh at some of your predictions. And, and yeah, there, there's no escaping that, really. No, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, so one or two changes, actually, uh, that we should be noting before the new season gets underway. Players will be allowed to swap shirts again, which is nice, but they should wait until the full-time whistle or risk a pobrium. Premier League players will continue to take the knee, with a few exceptions. Wilfred Zaha, one of the few occasions that he likes to remain on his feet. 
Similarly, Brentford's Ivan Tony uh, is of the belief that taking the knee allows those in authority to rest on their laurels when it comes to taking action against uh, racism. Elsewhere, the Premier League will adopt a lighter touch with regard to VAR, similar to the approach taken at the Euros. They'll be using thicker lines when judging offside decisions, effectively putting an end, we're told, to armpit offsides. Uh, And also the handball law uh, that was used at Euro 2020, that'll be in place for the Premier League as well. Attacking players no longer punished for accidental handball in the build-up to a goal. Super, lots of new things, lots of new players, lots of new faces around as well. Uh, Let's get in then uh, to our Premier League opening weekend preview. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Match day one of this Premier League season kicks off Friday night. Arsenal travelling to newly promoted Brentford. It's their first top flight meeting since 1947, kids. Uh, on Saturday, Man United take on Leeds in the early kickoff. A fixture they won 6 2 last season. Crikey. Uh, then we'll have the return of multiple simultaneous matches. Five games at once Burnley Brighton, Chelsea Palace. Everton Saints, Leicester Wolves and Watford taking on Aston Villa. On Saturday evening, it's Norwich against Liverpool, who've won on their last seven visits to Carrow Road. Sunday, West Ham head to Newcastle, who beat them home and away last season. And Game Week 1 concludes with Spurs against Man City. Ooh, how do you like that as your opening fixture for Spurs for this Premier League season? It's nice to have a juicy weekend one fixture. Um, a meeting between two of the the big six, as I think we're still calling them, um, although perhaps might need to revisit that by the end of the season. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see where both teams are. Obviously, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo's first competitive match as, as Tottenham manager uh, and, and the first match of City's title defence. I, I kind of feel like, on the one hand, Tottenham are quite bad vibes at the moment in that you know, Harry Kane, is he staying? Is he going? Is he even going to play, having been self-isolating after his holiday? Um, so it, hard to feel too optimistic from a Spurs perspective. But at the same time, City not exactly in great shape either. Missing key players, no Kevin De Bruyne, no Phil Foden. Is Jack Grealish, uh, you know, fit enough to start? Um, still haven't replaced Sergio Aguero. So I, I also wonder whether this might not be the worst time for Spurs to be facing City. Well, also because Spurs have a tremendous record at home mm. uh, to Man City. Since the move to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Man City yet to win or even score a goal there. Kane, though, what what, what is the situation now? Has Kane and his brother, have they handled it particularly badly? Is the move off? Is it just a matter of time? What do you think? I would be surprised if there's any resolution that Harry Kane would be happy with in this transfer window, to be honest, because I... I I think not least because we're running out of time for for Tottenham to go out in there and I don't know convince into the Solatoro Martinez for example um to bring in a replacement. Spurs's stance on this has been pretty consistent throughout the summer. They don't want to sell to a rival Premier League team. Manchester City for all the talk have as far as I know haven't actually submitted a, an offer formally. Um and if they did it would have to be north of 150 million pounds and then still potentially be knocked back by by Spurs, so it's it's a difficult one to see it getting resolved now. Has he handled it right? I, I'm still, 
I, th- I think we just have to we have to see his reasoning behind why he he wasn't there when Spurs expected him to be there at, at that training ground for the tests, because his his Instagram post or Twitter or whatever it was, whatever social media platform it was, really posed more questions than offered answers on that. Um, there's clearly a breakdown in communication somewhere along the line between player and club. That said, if this is all born of some kind of gentleman's agreement, then. Well, I mean, the whole concept of a gentleman agreement in in football is is ridiculous, if you ask me. I mean, it's you need to have that formal formal clause written into a contract like Jack Grealish clearly did with Aston Villa, um, if if you want to secure a move away at some point in the future. And and Kane doesn't appear to have that. So you you anticipate him being there at least until January. How how much, if that's the case, do you think that's going to impact on Man City's prospects for holding on to the title, Natalie? Well, Guardiola made it clear several times that he can cope without a new uh, center forward, without a new striker. So, uh, of course, it would be much better to have Harry Kane. It would put Spurs, it would put City in a different level. But I'm not sure if uh, City will look for a second option if things with Kane don't happen because... It really cooled off. But I just wanted to give a positive note about Spurs because I watched the preseason friendly with Arsenal last weekend and I was surprised in a positive way. You know, there, there's an important factor that uh, is uh, that several Tottenham players, they, they were overlooked for the Euros. So like Dele Alli, Bergwin, they have been available for the whole preseason. Lucas Moura, most of the preseason as well. Huming Song. So uh, many of their main attackers, and they looked more structured. And I don't think it will be the case of Nuno putting up a team that is more conservative, like many people could think uh, when looking at his his work at uh, Wolves. Sometimes, you know, they are not playing with three defenders. He seems open to try new things with the players he has available. And I, I really like mm. him as a coach. I think he, he will do well. So there, there's, it's not only negative notes. I know this, this Harry Kane situation is really, is really upsetting for Spurs fans. And I'm very curious to see how they will react if Kane is actually on the bench. It will be interesting, won't it? I suppose anyway, with apparently their fifth choice manager in Nuno Espirito Santo, uh, which is a potentially awkward situation, although sometimes it is the things that life chooses for you that work out the best. He he also has a terrific record against Man City. His Wolves did the double over uh, the Citizens the season before last. And you mentioned the players available. Uh, there are some very attractive new arrivals there at Tottenham, almost as if they'd gone out and spent the Kane money in anticipation of his departure. Brian Hill from Sevilla... Uh, Christian Romero is excellent at the back for Atalanta and Golini, the uh, keeper as well from Bergamo. Especially with with Romero, I think, because they really needed uh, some strength uh, in the defensive line. And he he looked really, really good at Atalanta. And Brian Hugh is a young player, so it's exciting in this in this sense. But it's not the it's not one of those big signings, but definitely it will add up, especially considering that Alderweireld left this summer and and Spurs looked a bit shaky in defense uh, at times last season. So yeah, I don't think it's all bad news. Maybe Spurs can, you know, save us some surprises. Maybe. What do you think, Natalie? What kind of position are we talking? 
Mm. Position Europa League, uh, sixth place, seventh place. Wow. Sixth Get place. dreamings first, fans. All right. Excellent. Are you anticipating? <laughs> are you anticipating much of a title race this year? I'm, th- uh, I'm thinking Chelsea, Man City, and maybe Man United looking for some different things. But I think it's going to be mainly Chelsea, Man City. I don't, I don't want to underestimate Liverpool because mm-hmm. you know they always have the mentality. But, but yeah, it's looking like Chelsea, Man City, especially Chelsea. Man United actually finished second last time around and have made some very interesting signings themselves. Rafael Varane, as and when that happens. And Jaden Sancho, uh, who scored or assisted 36 goals for Dortmund last season. What, what, what about their prospects, Tom? I mean, logically, Manchester United should be even stronger than they were last season. I mean, finishing second uh, as comfortably as they did... Uh, was a great achievement last season. As you say, they've strengthened in defence with one of the best centre-backs in European football over the last 10 seasons. They've strengthened in attack with Jadon Sancho, who's an absolute goals and assists machine. Um, So you add those two players to a team that finished second last season and you'd think that they should uh, push probably City and Chelsea all the way this season and really challenge for the title. I I think one concern with United is that there are still areas of the team with question marks over them. I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka at right back still hasn't yet proven that, that he is the real deal for a club of United's calibre. Um, I think in central midfield, that Fred-Scott-McTominay tandem that Oli Solskjaer has been very reluctant to steer away from sort of remains in place. I'd love to see Paul Pogba give an opportunity to play there, but Solskjaer just doesn't seem to trust him in that in that midfield too. And that's why... We saw him playing out on the left quite a lot towards the end of last season when he came back from injury. There is still a bit of a question mark about Solskjaer. Uh, and I think what I said at the end of last season was that you, you couldn't really ask much more from him uh, last season. I mean, the, the Europa League final was a disappointment. Uh, and I think it, it revealed shortcomings in in his coaching that United weren't able to really take that game by the scruff of the neck. Um, but yeah, there's lots of reason to be optimistic. And I think if you, know, you add two... Exceptional players. Two of the best signings United have made in the post-Ferguson era, even before that. I mean, you know, starting centre-back from Real Madrid and the most exciting young player in Germany, one of the most exciting four or five young players in world football. Um, there's plenty to be excited about. Yeah, Anthony Martial is, is fit again, uh, ready to go. Obviously, Marcus Rashford's going to be out for a little while. They've got options um, going forward. Actually, didn't mention this, but another sort of slight question mark area is goalkeeper. Looks like it's going to be Dean Henderson rather than David De Gea. Jury's still out a little bit with him. So, on the one hand, optimism, two excellent signings, but I, I, I'm still a little bit unsure about about quite how high United's ceiling is. Mm. Great game to start with against Leeds at Saturday lunchtime. I'm not sure how strong we can expect United to be in these first rounds, considering how many players they won't have available or or that were at the Euros and may not arrive at their best physicality. You know, uh, Varane and Sancho, I'm, I'm not sure, will start against Leeds. Cavani is missing the start of the season, definitely. Rashford is injured, of course. So you have Maguire, Luke Shaw, Bruno Fernandes, Pogba. They had many minutes at the Euros. So, And we are talking about an opponent who is known 
for the the intense preseason. The the Marcelo Bielsa's teams they they have these crazy preseasons that I find fascinating. You know, where they work in three three different times a day and they really start the season physically very strong. So. I'm not sure what to expect uh, about this this match. I think it's going to be exciting, definitely, especially considering Leeds. Can, can we talk about Leeds just for a while? Sure. Because, well, first, without Roy Hodgson, Bielsa is now the oldest Premier League manager. He's 66, even though I really hope I get to 66 with his energy, honestly. <laughs> and, and they finished ninth last season, which was mm. already amazing. But, you know, what's next for Leeds now? Because I don't know if... It, Will they fight for an European position? Is this realistic? I don't know. Maybe maybe it can be. If, if you look at the squad, you have Calvin Phillips, you have Benford scoring goals, you have Rafinha, outstanding performances, Jack Harrison, Stuart Dallas. This is a good team, you know. They lacked consistency at times, uh, lost a few matches that we couldn't really understand, but they were brave all the time. And Bielsa in his pre-seasons, you know, working three times per day, it's always uh, uh, an ingredient. Uh, the first match last season was that 4-3 loss to Liverpool, and that was already very exciting. So this is what I'm expecting from Leeds in the very first round, you know. Well, it was pretty exciting when they last visited Old Trafford. 6-2 to Man United, as I mentioned. Scott McTominay actually scoring twice inside the opening three minutes, which you don't see uh, every day. Leeds uh, ninth in the Premier League last season. Natalie, you know the last team from Yorkshire to finish ninth in their return to the Premier League? No, who? Sheffield United. Mm. But anyway, that, but I, that is no, different... I don't think I don't think Leeds different. has the second yes the second season syndrome. I don't think it's going to happen to them, honestly. All right, all right. That's not a prediction. I don't think that we'll be laughing about uh, in times to come. Uh, did anybody say Liverpool? You mentioned Liverpool, Natalie, didn't you? I did. You said yeah. something about mentality and that kind of thing. They've also got well, yeah. Virgil Van Dijk's back. And uh, Leipzig's Ibrahim Konate as well, who Rafa has been raving about. Uh, what do you think about Liverpool? Great opening game for them as well against Norwich, who they always womp. Yes, exactly. Well, Liverpool did not impress in the transfer window, uh, with the exception of Konate. But they managed to get 26 of 30 points available in the final rounds last season. With all the problems they were facing in defence, so, so the mentality the mentality is always there. And it's Liverpool, so you can never underestimate this. Of course, they have the Robertson injury, which wasn't definitely wasn't planned because he was so fit last season and he was important part of the team. But yeah, you you never you never underestimate Liverpool and with their winning mentality and fans back at Anfield. Of course, the first round is at uh, is at Norwich's ground, but, but uh, I I would never underestimate Liverpool's chances of fighting for the for the the main main spots. Particularly at Carrow Road, actually, uh, they've won their last seven visits there, scoring twenty one goals in the process. So. That's nice. Dom, make the case, though, for Chelsea, who will be taking on your Crystal Palace this Saturday. Well, what was missing from Chelsea last season? A goal-scoring number nine. Their their leading scorer last year was Jorginho from midfield. A lot of penalties. Um, Romelu Lukaku, he may not be available this weekend, but him coming in for just shy of £100 million fills a massive void in that team and provides the front line with a focal point and 
will take them up to the next level. And, and when you're talking about a team that are European champions going up to the next level, that will mean that they have to compete and contend for the Premier League title. So I expect them to to do that. It's still a bit of a work in progress. It's They, they have the same issues at Chelsea that a lot of the big clubs have. As Natalie mentioned, Manchester United there. A lot of their players have been coming back in dribs and drabs um, from European, well, from the European Championships in the summer. So they, they won't be at full strength, I'd suggest, against Crystal Palace on Saturday. But the potential there is huge. I mean, just look at the options suddenly at, uh, at Thomas Tuchel's disposal, not least in attacking areas. When you've got Werner Havertz, Pulisic, Hudson-Odoi and Ziyech, who who was excellent in that, that first half in Belfast. That 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 crossfield pass he pinged after about 24 minutes to Chaloba at the back pass was a thing of beauty. And then he puts them ahead a minute later, his fizzing free kicks into the box, generally looks a threat, has scored six goals in pre-season and then goes and dislocates a shoulder, mm. um, which is going to rule him out for the foreseeable future. So the Chelsea that trots out against Palace on Saturday is not the Chelsea that is going to be challenging for the Premier League title, but... You know, come, come maybe after this international break in September, I think we'll see a really coherent group, a, re- a team that that know how Tuchel wants them to play, and a and a team that will really challenge City, United, and Liverpool at the top. What occurred to me watching the uh, Super Cup against uh, against Villarreal was if Thomas Tuchel sticks with the back three and the wing back system that that he introduced when he arrived last season, which brought Chelsea so much success. Don mentioned the competition for places. If we assume that that Conte and Jorginho will usually anchor the midfield, that you'll have two wing-backs and that Mason Mount will start more games than he doesn't, and that so too will Romelu Lukaku, assuming the transfer goes through, that leaves one space remaining for Havertz, Werner, Pulisic, Ziyech, uh, Callum hudson Odoi to all be competing for. I mean, it is an absolutely staggering, uh, you know, depth of, of talent in that position. And, and I think a feeling that we had last season, you know, that the immediate impact that, that Tuchel had in the Premier League, leading them to, to glory in the Champions League, you felt already that Chelsea would be challenging for the title this season. If you add Lukaku to the mix as well, that gives them a squad depth that I don't think has an equal in, in this country. I think it is right up there with City, particularly if City don't manage to find someone to replace Aguero. So then, what does it come down to? Who's the better manager? What do you think, Tom? Could, could Tuchel win it? I, I think my expectation is that, that if anyone is to challenge City this season, it will be Chelsea. Um, and the fact that an awful lot of people seem to be predicting a similar thing makes me think that that's probably not what's going to happen and that something unexpected <laughs> is, is going to blindside us. But as I said before, there are question marks about, about Manchester United. I think there are question marks about Liverpool as well. I, I, I still find myself thinking back to that absolutely remarkable period earlier this year when they lost six home games on the spin. And yes, Van Dijk being out for as long as he did completely threw their season off the rails. And yes, they were you know, completely ravaged by injuries for long periods. But even so, to see a defending champion slump in that manner just made me wonder whether there isn't something you know, potentially more profoundly wrong there. I don't know. I just... I just I, it, until Liverpool sort of string together two or three months of sort of consistent performances this season... I won't be able to shake off the sense that 
you know, there's still a danger that they can slip back into that sort of slump that we that we saw them in. Um, right. Yeah, beyond that, I don't see anyone else challenging. I think Chelsea and City are top dogs and, and then it'll be, you know, up to United and Liverpool to try and get as close to them as they can. So City and Chelsea, I'm guessing in that order for Tom. Dom? That's what I predicted as well. But I think right. there was a little asterisk there and that, that was, I'd, I'd prefer it if City brought in a number nine. So they've they've got, what almost three weeks to do that um yeah. i just just to have that option really when you lose aguero um to have a player that that, that can become a focal point for, for certain games if you're not going to get kane and if that's unlikely then i just prefer them to have that option and, and that would i think would cement their their position as favorites I, I mean, I don't know if Gabriel Jesus is a regular listener to this this podcast where he just dips in and out, <laughs> but he might be saying at this point, you know, putting his hand up going, me, pick me, me. Pick me. But isn't it, I mean, the, suge- the suggestions all summer are that, are that City would have listened to offers for Gabriel Jesus, which doesn't inspire me with an awful lot of confidence that, that, well, that he's got his manager's confidence really to fill that role. What do you think, Natalie? Can he step up? Uh, yeah, I think I think he can step up. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see how he will react now that he doesn't have the Aguero element, even though they played together a few times. And considering this Aguero absence, City didn't really have Aguero last season. You know, he had so many injuries and, and they coped really well. I'm actually more curious to see what type of new solutions Guardiola will bring because he always brings something new, even if it's going back to the basics like he did uh, last season. So I think for me, this is the main question mark if Kane doesn't come. Because if Kane arrives at City, then he just adds so many options for for, for Guardiola. But even without Kane, uh, maybe Gabriel... Because Gabriel, he, he mentioned so many times that he prefers to play as a winger. And he, he plays better as a winger. So I'm not sure how much we can rely on him in this... Oh, he will be the number nine when they don't have an option. He can be many things, but I don't. I, I don't know if he will be the number nine in in the sense that that we are talking about here. You know, so. Okay, fair enough. All right. Next up, let's have a look at some other things coming up from this weekend, and also a bit more about Wednesday night. At Paddy Power, we're looking forward to the return of the Premier League this weekend. Man United kick off their campaign against old rivals Leeds. The operative word there being old, because the last time Leeds finished ahead of Man United was before most of the players in the current teams were born. Though I remember it well. God, I'm getting too old for this job. And while you can't build a time machine, you can build your own bet with a completely free £5 bet builder on Man United v Leeds this Saturday. Paddy Power! Pre-match bet builder bets only. Minimum two legs plus. Online exclusive must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Becamelaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Kepa with the Chelsea hero, Albiol can't get the penalty in, and Chelsea win the Super Cup. Wednesday night, it was 
A 1-1 draw after 120 minutes between Chelsea, the uh, European champions, and the Europa League winners of Villarreal at uh, Windsor Park in Belfast. Chelsea had had a kind of classic Timo Werner performance up front, but as Dom mentioned, Hakim Ziyech opening the scoring before having to go off with a shoulder injury. Impressive reaction, I think, from Villarreal with uh, Gerard Moreno getting their equaliser and becoming, in the process, the Yellow Submarine's all-time top scorer, beating the previous high, which was set by Giuseppe Rossi, interestingly enough. It went to penalties. There was that bit which provoked a bit of confusion when Thomas Tuchel switched goalkeepers. A keeper who famously had refused to come off before a penalty shootout uh, back under Maurizio Sarri, now uh, quite happily coming on for, for one and doing really well against these spot kicks, no? I did wonder when the camera pans to the bench and you saw Kepper pulling his socks up and, and, and putting his gloves on, whether he was just going to walk onto the pitch at, <laughs> at full time without actually having consulted uh, the manager or any of the coaching staff. But yeah, it was ironic that he should find himself in this position, having been the goalkeeper who famously refused to be substituted ahead of a shootout. Although I'd, actually, I'd forgotten that in the 2019 League Cup final, it was because he was cramping up that they wanted him to be replaced. I think I'm right in saying, rather than, you know, get Willy Caballero on at all costs. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, sending on a goalkeeper just for a shootout doesn't half put them under pressure. You could see how sort of fired up for, for it he was. And of course, he ends up being the hero, saving two penalties. And yeah, a nice little coda to the Kepa-Rizabalaga penalty shootout narrative arc that we're not mm. just left with that peculiar image of, of Maurizio Sarri losing it on the touchline, but he has actually proven that he, he can be quite handy in a shootout as well. I was happy uh, for Kepa because in the period where he just lost uh, his position, he was clearly struggling and he was he was upset, you know, you can see, you could see him really upset and he's a young goalkeeper, but you know what I was wondering uh, when they changed goalkeepers and after on the interviews when Tuchel said that it was all uh, previously arranged, that they knew that it was going to happen, ever since last year actually they, they had this agreement and I was thinking if the Champions League final went to penalties, would that have happened? Because it was agreed, but you, you're going to sub the goalkeeper who had a marvelous season in the most important match of the season. Well, we, we guess we'll never know, but it's, it's funny to think that. But in the end, they even gave an interview together and I was thinking, wow, when things are working at a football club, everything just, there, there isn't a problem, you know. The, when they're winning, Mendy is saying, no, of course, I'm happy for him. I knew that it, that it was going to happen. And it just, it just, just shows how much like, everything is coming together at Chelsea. Mm, does, doesn't it? Uh, oh, we should give a quick salute to Pau Torres, who was the revelation of uh, last season, really, for Villarreal. Played 44 games for them. Straight after that, he went and played the Euros all the way to the semifinals with Spain. And then straight after that, he went to Tokyo and played the Olympic football tournament all the way to the final last Saturday. And then, what, four days later, was on the field at Windsor Park. And the extraordinary thing is, I think four of, I think possibly his last four games all went to extra time, which is just incredible. 120 minutes as well on Wednesday night. I mean, it is mad that he is going straight into a season with VRL. You would hope that he'll get a little break at some point. You think about Pedri as well, who is, you know, that's been flagged up how much he played 
going to the Euro. I mean, absolutely bossing the Euro. I fell in love with Pedri more than any other player, I think, watching the European Championship. Then straight into the Olympics and now into this extremely peculiar season with Barcelona. You hope for all of those players, particularly those that doubled up at the Euro and the Olympics, that they get some kind of break because otherwise it's going to be a nightmare season. I remember going back to this sort of time last season and Kylian Mbappe was saying, I don't feel like I'm preparing for the, the second or third game of this season. I feel like I'm preparing for the 66th game of last season because, of course, the COVID delayed season had, had run on late for the teams involved in the Champions League. And it, it, it's not good to be putting those sorts of um, strains on players. Indeed not. All right. Natalie, of course, Sir Pau Torres losing the Olympic final, as we touched on before, to Brazil last Saturday in Tokyo. Uh, how important are football gold medals uh, for the men's national side to Brazil? Yeah, no, it's very important. Brazilians in general, they're very involved with the Olympics, very involved with the Olympics. Uh, not as involved with football as with other sports, maybe, but for a very long time, there was this pressure of Brazil uh, managing to get the first medal. So 2016 was very important because we lost finals, we had amazing teams that just kept losing matches that we couldn't understand. So the, the Olympics was kind of a barrier that Brazil had to break. And this time uh, they had players that are very popular, like Dani Alves, for example, with all his experience and, and Richarlison that everybody absolutely loves. So yeah, it, it, was, it was very important. It was, it was big. Hey, you mentioned Richardson. He's in that category of, of, of players pushing the needle into the red, perhaps, because before the Olympics, he had the Copa America. Uh, that's, what, 15 games he's played in the last two months, which is a reasonable, reasonable amount. And uh, straight back in at Everton under his new manager, Rafa Benitez. Let's, let's move back to the Premier League then, because Rafa, perhaps the headline on a quite a large group of, of new managers who come in. You've got... Elsewhere, Bruno Lage at, at Wolves, Nuno, we mentioned at Spurs, and Patrick Vieira, intriguingly, at Palace. What about Rafa, though, on the other side of Stanley Park at Everton? Is this going to work? Uh, I spoke to Alan last week about the preseason and how things mm -hmm. are going uh, with Rafa Benitez compared to Ancelotti, who's a manager Alan knows really well because they work together at Napoli. And he said that the shape of the team shouldn't change so much, but the way they impose their game will be a bit different because Rafa likes a more direct game with the forwards, using more the speeds of the the speed of the wingers and having a more intense form of defending. But like his approach with the team has been great. He's an experienced manager. So apparently they are having a very good preseason with Rafa Benitez, according to Alan. Okay. Dom? I, I just think it's the biggest challenge that Rafa has taken on in a career of challenges, to be honest, um, winning that crowd over is going to be quite a, a feat if he achieves that. I think he's walked into a club with an, an awful lot of problems. Um, they've still got a lot of deadwood in that squad that they can't clear. Legacies of previous managerial and director of football spending, a lot of which you'd argue hasn't really worked. Um, I remember this time last year, or maybe a couple of weeks later, we we did a a pod and we mentioned James Rodriguez and how he might not be the ideal type of signing for Everton to be making. And James obviously started the season fantastically well, as Everton did, and appeared to be integral in Carlo Ancelotti's 
team and we got an awful lot of abuse from Everton fans saying, well, this is this is stereotypical nonsense. Well, actually, a year on, James Rodriguez doesn't appear to want to be there anymore and he's a massive drain on their wages. Um, so again, I'd, I'd, I'd look at that and, and wonder how Benitez convinces him he should be integral still uh, and should want to stay at Goodison Park. There, there are certain issues in the squad that still need addressing um, from the search for a right back to I mean bearing in mind this is a club that's been used to spending big of late the very fact that their major signings this summer are Andros Townsend on a free albeit a player that's worked under Benitez before at Newcastle um, and um, Damari Gray for about £1.6 million from Bayer Leverkusen really sums up where they are at the moment they're not in a position where they can spend big and kick on and, and look up they're almost like they're having to stabilise and, and still trying to clear out some of the some of the dross that they've got on the books at the moment. And that's a massive task for for Benitez when the fans are already in uproar at his appointment in the first place. So they, they've got a kind run of fixtures at the start of the season. You look at them and think they, they need to almost emulate what Ancelotti did this time last year and, and get off to a winning start. And that might appease the masses. That might bring people on side because... If they drop points on the poor performances in this run of games, then then he's fighting an uphill battle really from the start. I think one difficulty that Benitez faces, is, as Dom says, is that the fans, a lot of fans, are just looking for an excuse to get stuck into him because they didn't want him there in the first place. But the one thing that I find slightly amusing is this idea that he'll be rejected by Everton fans, you know, apart from his... Uh, Liverpool connections because the, the the football won't be very good. The football wasn't very good at Goodison Park last season. Okay, there weren't any fans in, but it wasn't like Carlo Ancelotti came in and revolutionised the way that Everton played. We thought he was going to over those first few weeks of the season when they were up at the top of the table and, and everything seemed to be moving in the right direction. But Everton's football over the second half of the season was pretty dire and it has been for the last couple of years. So while that may well end up being a stick that gets used to beat Benitez with, He's not taking over a team that's got a very clear identity that's already playing swashbuckling football. And again, just to you know, to back up what Don was saying, they do have quite a kind opening run of fixtures. So you tend to think that if, if, if Everton can get through that with a decent number of points on the board, that will at least prevent the fans from, from getting on his back. Because I think if there are any slip-ups in that, in that early period, it, it could make for a very long, very uncomfortable season for him. Crikey. Well, a lot of... Interesting to see how that all works out. And uh, what what will happen with Wolves under their new Portuguese boss, Bruno Large, a name for sub-editors to, to conjure with there. Uh, they'll begin their campaign away at Leicester, actually, 3 o'clock on, on Saturday. Uh, Large's previous job was at Benfica, where he took over halfway through the 2018-2019 season and immediately oversaw a, an 18-game winning streak as they romped to the title. Uh, the second season, less good. They equaled the club's worst ever run, two wins in 30 matches, and he got binned, and he hasn't been working for the past year. But, you know, football, it's it comes, it goes, tidal in many ways. They've got Raul Jimenez back as well, which I think we all agree is huge. Uh, of course, he fractured his skull on the 29th of November last year at Arsenal, but he has been back playing in pre-season. I felt a bit sorry for Wolves last season in that a lot of things conspired against them, most obviously the Raul Jimenez injury, 
and that you know not only was he their talisman but he was so central to the way that they played and for weeks afterwards Adama Traore was still skipping to the byline and putting crosses into the back post as if he'd forgotten that there was there wasn't this big burly Mexican striker at the back post to head them in they also lost Pedro Neto to injury towards the end of the season Traore generally just went off the boil a bit and there was this feeling that you know almost that Nuno had kind of was I don't know sort of like bashing his head against the wall had kind of taken the team as as far as he could whereas I think had Jimenez stayed fit for the whole season had they not lost Neto when they did they might have had a much better uh, campaign and we don't want to expect too much from Raul Jimenez because he did suffer a really serious injury not just a serious sort of football injury but a serious sort of life injury you know a fractured skull you know, we know that Petr Cech came back from that, but very different for a centre-forward, particularly the centre-forward who, you know, whose who's heading is such a big part of his game, whose who's bravery is such a big part of his game. But if he can get anywhere near the level that he showed in his first two seasons in the Premier League, 13 goals in his first full season, 17 goals in his second full season, that's a £50 million striker, £50 million plus striker that has got a full pre-season behind him and a huge amount of goodwill. So I, I feel like... Although, you know, Neto is still out, Daniel Pedence, I think, is still on the sidelines as well. Not wishing to put pressure on Raul Jimenez, but, you know, that, that could be a really significant factor for Wolves this season and might help them regenerate, rediscover some of the, some of the momentum that seemed to sort of ebb away from Molyneux last season. Excellent. All right, John, tell us about Vieira at Palace. How optimistic are Palace fans about Big Pat? The fans are very optimistic, and I think at the moment the... The club has got a, a quite a sort of refreshing feel-good factor about it. I mean, that's that's not a slight on Roy Hodgson, but I just think when you have a, a manager in place for three and a half seasons, effectively, probably slightly over that actually. Um, I mean, that's the longest. And it probably serving... felt like longer with with Roy. As well. <laughs> I mean, you know, with all due respect, that would that made him the longest-serving Palace manager since Steve Coppel back in the mm. late eighties, early nineties. So, I mean, it's. When you do change, it it has the the effect of rejuvenating the place, and a lot of positive noises around the training ground and the way he wants to play. There'll be a lot more energy and aggression, I think, to Crystal Palace's performances this season. And they've made some good signings. That um, they had to make the good signings because they lost half a squad um, to freedom of contract. Uh, I suspect they'll still make more in what remains of the window, or certainly attempt to. But I, I, there is a caveat, and well, there are a couple of caveats. First of all, we don't know how Patrick Vieira will will fare in the Premier League as a Premier League manager. He he, he did okay at Nice. I mean, Tom maybe back me up a bit. He did qualify for Europe under his under his stewardship, and I, I think that was actually pretty much in the very early days of of the uh, ownership, uh, the Radcliffe ownership of of. Of Nice, so it's not a bad achievement, really. And obviously, the second season, the last season, was dodgy, and he lost his job before Christmas. But so we have to see how how he adapts. But he's he's backed up with a good staff, and he is he's progressive with his thinking, which is great. The other caveat is going into this weekend when they're playing the European champions away from home. The only one of their new signings who I expect to feature in this game is Mark Gurhey, who is an ex-Chelsea player and therefore a player that Chelsea will know all about. Otherwise, it will look very similar to the team that played last season. So inevitably, if they get hammered, people will say, oh, Palace are, are condemned and doomed and it's all going to be, it's going to be a grim season. I, I think we'll see 
a, a very different Crystal Palace in the late autumn when Eze is restored to fitness, fingers crossed, he's ahead of schedule in his recovery from Achilles, when Michael Elise is fit again after a back problem and, and, and in the team, when Conor Gallagher is bossing midfield and when Joachim Anderson, who was excellent at Fulham last season, is is alongside Gay at the, at the back. And it may be a while before we see that. It may not be before the international break in September, but but I think Palace will be a surprise package beyond the autumn not not to, to dampen Dom's nascent enthusiasm <laughs> yeah, but right, I, I think as, right. as 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 he says there, there are some question marks about Patrick Vieira as a coach when he took over at Nice they had a reputation for playing very attractive football for punching above their weight and he spoke about that in his you know introductory press conference his early interviews I want us to be on the front foot and he you know he made a point of you know, the team always building up from the back, you know, playing through the lines, playing out from the goalkeeper. The football was really poor, though. The whole time he was there, very sort of stodgy. Um, and, and one thing that I think he deserved credit for was that he he never sort of tried to dodge responsibility. He always fronted up about decisions he'd made, things that had worked, things hadn't worked. Um, and I think that will serve to endear him to Palace fans. But the feeling you had from you know looking at his spell at Nice in its entirety was that this was a coach who hadn't yet figured out how to transform his ideas onto the pitch albeit with a caveat that he was coached during a very volatile time behind the scenes you know Nice had taken over by uh, by Ineos you know mega rich owners they weren't able to spend the money um that uh, that that gave them uh you know all all that uh, easily, so that, that you know that, that there were lots going on in the background. But uh, yeah, watching that Nice team was was not a particularly exciting experience. You'd think with the players at his disposal at Palace that they will be a better watch. But I, I yeah, I, I still think the jury's out on Vieira. Uh, it's, uh, the jury should be out. Should be out. I mean, he's I mean, not, yeah, no, he's you're not right. managed in yeah, the Premier League. That's mm. that's quite right. And he wasn't even Palace's first choice. They went for Nuno. They went for Favre. And they ended up with Vieira. Um, so you're absolutely, I mean, jury completely should be out. But yeah, we'll see where it goes. For me, a question is, what will Roy Hodgson be doing on the opening round of the Premier League? Because I asked him after the match against Liverpool and he couldn't imagine that moment if, if it would be best for him to follow the matches and think, oh, I wanted to be there. Or if he would ignore it or he would follow not so closely. So yeah. Don't know. That's a poignant thought, Natalie. But I imagine we <laughs> so, might be soccer seeing... Saturday with a cup of tea. A <laughs> <laughs> watching rather than than on it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> next up, let's touch on some more of the uh, new faces in this Premier League season. Uh, the promoted sides. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. 
Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Norwich, Watford and Brentford are up. This weekend, Norwich hosting Liverpool. Watford take on Villa. Brentford host Arsenal. Crikey, in the Friday night opener. As it's going to go, it is a tough opening fixture for a side that has clearly a lot of question marks over them. But we're going to talk to someone from Brentford. Uh, Billy Grant, Billy the Bee of the Besotted podcast and blog, who joins us now. Today's Thursday as we record this. We're just one day away from Brentford in the Premier League. How are you feeling? Oh, it's a little bit nervous, a little bit weird, actually. You know, it's been a very busy couple of weeks. You know, I mean, the season hasn't sort of stopped, you know, end of season, then you go straight into the Euros and there's a month of Euro action and then we've come back and then it's like pre-season. So this has been one continuous season for us. Um, Being a Brentford fan for 40 odd years, we never thought we're going to get to this stage, I have to say. And even when we won the playoffs and I spoke to you guys and I said, look, you know, we've won the playoffs and we're in the Premier League, but it wasn't really real. And then the fixtures came out. And you thought, oh, we got Arsenal first game of the season. This is quite interesting. But now, actually, you start to get the tingles because all of a sudden we've got 24 hours to go. We've got all sorts of characters coming down to our new stadium tomorrow to see us, you know, play people that have never been to Brentford before. And all of a sudden I'm starting to think to myself, this is real and the excitement is starting to happen. Brentford are the 50th different side to feature in the Premier League. How do you think you're going to get on beyond Friday's opener? It's, listen, we're under no illusions. You know, Premier League's tough. You know, we did a podcast last night in the pub. Lovely to go back to the pub again and do a podcast, you know, face to face. And and we discussed this, Prada West. London. we discussed this between ourselves. Um, we had an Arsenal fan in there as well. And we asked him, Darren, who's, who's done a, a really interesting book, actually, an Arsenal book. But he said to him, Darren, what's the difference between the Premier League and, and the championship and, and what do we need to do to kind of get in there? And he said to us, like, you know, um, him and also Will, Will, the spreadsheet guy from our, from our podcast said, look, it's, it's faster. The football's faster. And also there's, there's, there's more elite players. It's more elite finishing. So we really need to be on the ball. We need to make sure that, you know, if we get chances, we've got to put them away. We can't make silly mistakes like giving the ball away in midfield because we can get punished really quickly. I think we've learned that from last season in, in going up last season. The season before when we didn't go up, we used to sort of make a lot of those mistakes and we rectify that this season so I think we're going into it with our eyes open so I'm saying I'm not saying that we're going to this is going to be all hunky-dory and we're going to do a Leeds United or a Wolverhampton Wanderers but I think that we've got some great players that we've signed some exciting players we've signed we play great football we ain't coming here to put two banks of four up and just defend our way out this division and hopefully we get pick up one point here or there you know we're actually looking to come and play football but also kind of compete but also just try and make sure that we actually kind of, you know, we're not arrogant about it. Just just learn, learn how to play in this division and just and pick up some points. The big question that most people have, I think, about the Bees is Ivan Tony, who was golden boot winner in League One. And then the following season, he was golden boot winner in the Championship. Can he do it in the Premier League? I love Ivan Tony. He's such a great player. He's such a good bloke. He's come in and he's not even delivered. He's over-delivered. 31 goals, literally, you know, if you if you put the ball into him, Ivan Tony, ball in the back of the net, 
Never misses a penalty, he says, touching wood, because <laughs> probably the first penalty you take in the Premier League will probably miss that. But in general, Ivan Tony never misses a penalty. Will he score 31 goals this season? Of course he won't score 31 goals. Will he score 10 goals? Maybe he might do, because I think I really do think that he's good enough. Um, he's focused enough. He knows what he wants to do. And for Brentford, it's about creating chances. So if we're able to create a lot of chances in this division again, I, I, I fancy Ivan Tony to put it away. I mean, Ivan Tony against Ben White... You know, how's that going to go? That is, that's a championship matchup as far as I'm concerned. You know, those two players, two great players. And uh, that'll be a real tester to see how Ivan Tony will be able to do in this league. But I, I really do put money on Ivan Tony to cause a few problems in that, this league this season. Billy Grant, Billy the Bee of the Besotted podcast and blog. Uh, Arsenal at eight o'clock on Friday night. Fun fact... Brentford had the same number of players at the Euros as Arsenal did. Did you know that? What do you think about Arsenal, Natalie? Eighth last season, which means they're going to be out out of Europe this time around. We have seen clubs benefit from that situation before. What, What do you think about the Gunners? Yeah, well, Arsenal is clearly investing in younger players, uh, signings, contract extensions. But we all remember how pressured Arteta was last season, especially after being uh, kicked out of the Europa League. And I'm not sure how much we should expect from the team. Like, what will be enough? Is an Europa League place enough for Arsenal this season? Or should they challenge for the top four? Because they're obviously not in the position of investing as much as the other clubs who will be fighting for top four. But they need to show to show signs of improvement. So in August, they will already face Chelsea and Man City. They have Brentford now, and then they have, they have Chelsea and they have Man City. So this first win against Brentford is very, very important, not only because it's a, a recently promoted team, but also they don't want to finish August struggling. And of course, City and Chelsea have deeper squads and much more investment. So, yeah. Brentford, anyway, loads of people really looking forward to seeing how they get on. The other promoted teams, Norwich, who we're more than familiar with, and Watford, managed these days, of course, by Cisco. Plenty of uh, incomings at Vicarage Road, including Danny Rose, yeah, Josh King, the intriguingly named Imran Loser, and a fellow that we were excited by on the goal show uh, last season for his Champions League exploits for Club Bruges, Emmanuel Dennis who scored some wonderful goals, notably against Real Madrid, but also was noted for missing a Champions League game last season after he stormed off the team bus when he wasn't allowed to sit in his usual seat, which I think is quite fair enough. Well, so there you go. That's uh, Watford. Loads of other clubs out there. Uh, Saints, we haven't really touched on yet. Brighton. Norwich, though, Tom, you want to tell us how Norwich have evolved since we last saw them under Daniel Farker? Yeah, well, if we recall Norwich's relegation season, um, they uh, finished with a a pretty historically low points total um, and it was largely felt that they had been exposed as as being not not quite good enough. But my feeling watching Norwich that season was how impressive they often were. They had very clear ideas about the sort of football they were trying to play and and they were very expansive um, in terms of their approach, but they just their performances didn't translate into results. And if, if you look at the way that they uh, earned promotion from the championship last season, they were a, a less expansive team than they had been the last time they came up. So they scored fewer goals. They also conceded fewer goals. So perhaps Daniel Farker has kind of you know found a happy medium between playing decent football, because that is still very much part of, of Norwich's approach, but perhaps 
you know, keeping things a little bit tighter at the back. They've picked up some interesting signings. Billy Gilmore coming in from Chelsea. You know, we've all been impressed by him on the few occasions he's played for Chelsea. And of course, he comes into this season off the back of that fantastic performance in midfield for Scotland against England uh, at Euro 2020. Um, a couple of the players who were important pillars in the promotion campaign, uh, Ben Gibson, Dimitris Giannoulis, the left-back, have uh, both joined permanently. Milot Rashitska as well has come in from Werder Bremen, uh, and he was you know, one of the shining lights of Werder Bremen over the past couple of years during what's been quite a difficult period for them. So although they've lost Emilio Buendia, who is, of course, you know, their key creator and, and, and has been one of the most creative players in English football the last two or three years, they've invested some of that money. And I, I get the impression that they might have learned some of the lessons from, from last time. So I think we'll still see Norwich trying to play decent football, but perhaps with a bit more canniness at the other end of the pitch. The last time we saw Norwich in the Premier League, they, they made it very clear afterwards that they weren't ready, that things happened too fast for Norwich and they weren't ready to be in the Premier League. So, so they were in this limbo of too good for the Championship, not good enough for the Premier League. And they have a very interesting project. Uh, the club has a very interesting project, you know, in terms of finding this identity that, that Tom mentioned. So, so, yeah, I'm very curious to see. I think they will do much better than the last time we saw them in the Premier League. Who who do you have at risk then? Who who would be your three going down? Take a wild stab in the dark. Yeah, I think I think Brighton will struggle again. Uh, I'm Ooh. I'm looking at Brighton and Burnley because they they are both teams that have struggled recently and didn't invest as much in signings as I thought they they should if they if they want to be out of this group of of teams that are struggling. Uh, they're fighting against relegation. I'm not sure how 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 strong Brentford and how prepared Brentford will be for the Premier League after so long away from the Premier League. Uh, but yeah, I think I think I would point this three. Not sure how many signings Burnley will make. Brighton, of course, have got what fifty odd million in their coffers from the sale of Ben White. So we might see some movement uh, there in the next week or two. I mean, what's fascinating about Burnley is that ALK Capital, uh, American investment firm, £170 million takeover, which went through in December. And you thought, right, are we going to see Burnley splash the cash? Are we going to see turf more transformed? Is this very sort of British squad suddenly going to be sprinkled with, you know, exotic foreign signings? The only player they've signed this summer uh, was a former Stoke City centre-back, Nathan Collins, who's coming for £12 million, which feels like the sort of signing that Sean Dyche would be trying to make even if he didn't have a massive transfer war chest to uh, to, to to work with. So I suppose very you know, harsh on Wayne Hennessy that Tom. Well, I, yeah, in terms of in terms of you know sort of uh, players they've actually had to part with cash for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I suppose you know Burnley fans will probably hope uh, to see uh, a few more players coming in between now and. Uh, the end of the transfer window. But it does feel like, despite all that new money uh, that's coming, that Burnley are still going to adopt the very same approach. And if you look at their Premier League finishes uh, since they since they came up, they finished 16th, 7th, 15th, 10th, 17th. So if you follow that pattern, they should be looking at sort of top half this season, but something tells me they probably won't be. I was just picturing uh, Wayne Hennessy actually, much like Gabriel Jesus with his arm up saying, pick me, pick me. I don't know why that idea came so easily <laughs> oh, to mind. Sorry, Dom. Well, you, you can, I think you can, 
you can tell what the the general mood is like at Burnley by the by the fact that Sean Dyche still hasn't signed that long term contract that's been on the table for oh God I lose count now four five six months. Um, he's in going into the last year of his current deal and he's still not signed. I think that I think that's indicative of where they're at. Natalie doesn't fancy a Brighton's chances this season. Dom, you're not very positive about the Saints either. I, I just think it's intriguing to see how that how that will play out at Southampton because it's been a, a a difficult summer for them in the market, um, losing their top goal scorer from the last three seasons almost overnight in um, Danny Ings' departure for Aston Villa. Um, they've taken a risk with Adam Armstrong coming in, but albeit a player that did brilliantly for Blackburn last season and. Going back in the day, he he was he was going to be the next big thing at Newcastle for a long time, and and then sort of got lost in a series of loans. Um, but you're putting an awful lot of pressure on on Armstrong, pretty much untried at Premier League level, uh, and Armando Broja, a loanee from Chelsea, who's only got one Premier League um, game to his name um, for your goal scoring, and and then now on the eve of the season, they're they're potentially losing their their main centre-half in Yannick Vestergaard, potentially to Leicester, which just seems to me a, a massive, massive risk on Southampton's part, unless they've got some some quality players lined up in what remains of the, the transfer window. that they, they seem to have lost an awful lot of experience and brought in a lot of un, uh, untried and untested players. And they're not alone in that in this division, obviously, um, Palace being another club at similar lines. But... It just feels a risky strategy. I love the signing of Tino Livramento to offer a bit of balance. He's going to be an absolute superstar. To prize him out of Chelsea is some going. Um, I fully expect him to make a, a fantastic impact with them. But but I think at the moment they're relying upon Ralph Hasenhutl's energy and enthusiasm to get them through what could be a very difficult season. Well, uh, if you're a fan of Villa or West Ham and Newcastle, you might be thinking, hmm, we haven't had much chat about our sides yet but we will we're going to have a very special part about them coming up right after we find out some odds and other bits from Paddy Power and producer Charlie Thank you James I'm with Mr Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power we're very excited the Premier League is back Norwich fans are excited too Carl can the Canaries stay up or should we create a Super League in between the Premier League and the Championship just for them well, Charlie Norwich are joint favourites with Watford at 10 to 11 in the relegation. Benning, to answer your question, yes, they can stay up, but they will have to fight for their lives, quite frankly. Daniel Farker is a good coach and he's done great work there. Last season, they won the championship with a haul of 97 points, three points more than when they won it in 2019. Now, last season, they conceded 21 fewer goals. Now, Emmy Bundina may be gone, but defensively and athletically, this Norwich side seem more equipped to tackle the choppy waters of the top flight this time round. Billy Gilmore comes in on loan from Chelsea and should add a bit of class to their engine room after he announced himself to the public at the recent Euros for Scotland. All in all, they've spent around 35 million quid so far and look to have assembled a squad capable of at least a 17th place finish and more importantly, Charlie, survival. What about the race for the Golden Boot? And what about Brentford's Ivan Tony? Two years ago, he was the top scorer in League One. Last season, he was the top scorer in the Championship. Hashtag just saying, to use a contemporary reference. Well, the talented Ivan Tony will be looking to leave his mark on the campaign, no doubt. And one can expect a bank full of goals from the Brentford striker. He hit 33 goals in all comps last season. Smart movement, uh, first time finishing, and a cool head for pens to make this guy one to watch closely, for sure. 
He is 40 to 1 to be the Premier League's top goal scorer, Charlie. Not a bad bet from an each way point of view, considering you get four places. Another update on that market is the incoming goal machine, Romelu Lukaku. He'll be around 4 to 1 to be the top goal getter this year. Potentially, City Ben Harry Kane, the favourite, though, 11 to 4, and then Mo Salah, 7 to 2. There's also, Charlie, a completely free 5 quid bet builder bet for Man United Leeds, which is the early kickoff on Saturday on the Paddy Power website for both new and existing customers. So you might fancy a Van der Beek wonder goal or another painfully grim scoreless draw between Man United and Leeds, but make sure not to miss out. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. Fun has stopped currently for Rangers, who got knocked out of the Champions League by Malmo this midweek. Uh, for the fourth season in a row, there'll be no Scottish side in the Champions League group stages. And Stephen Gerrard's Rangers, who went the entirety of the previous league season unbeaten, have now lost three games in a row. Also going out of the Champions League preliminaries, Greek champions Olympiakos, Slavia Prague got knocked out by Monaco and Red Star Belgrade. Oh, and also Spartak Moscow are in a world of difficulty right now. Now, Natalie, you're keen to talk about Villa, and then I insist that we do a big build-up to Newcastle-West Ham, which will has a very comforting feel to it with the you know old stages Moisey and Brucey facing off there. Uh, but, but Villa first, Natalie. They were very smart recruiting. Villa will be an exciting team still. I know that the numbers without Grealish are not very inspiring, but I really can see other players like stepping up now that they are definitely without him because for many matches there was this expectation of Grealish pulling something out or if he was injured oh how Villa could look better when Grealish returns you know they they have talented players who can bring different things for the team you know we have uh, Leon Bailey now who's fast Emi Buendia is a great signing it was impressive how Norwich managed to keep him during the championship and now uh, Villa went for him and I think he he will fit perfectly in the team and if Danny Ings can keep fit this partnership mm. between him and, and Ollie Watkins is, is really cool you know plus you have the experience with, with Ashley Young Dean Smith is a very good manager so I am actually looking forward to watch Villa during this season Excellent they still got goalkeeper uh, Emi Martinez who won yeah. the Copa America Yeah with Argentina Let's not let's not go into that <laughs> So, uh, well, it's 22 years since Aston Villa last won at Vicarage Road. Of course, they don't get to visit there every season for one reason or another. Excellent. West Ham, Newcastle then, who will face each other four o'clock Sunday afternoon on Tyneside. Both teams wildly outperforming expectations last season. Is, is that fair of, you know, West Ham finishing fifth and Newcastle not going down? <laughs> I think it's fair for West Ham. I'm not sure it's fair for Newcastle. Um, and right. I think Steve Bruce finds himself in a similar position to Rafa Benita, as in that he's not very popular with the fans and they won't need much encouragement to, to get on his back. Um, but I think, you know, you look at the way that Newcastle ended last season. They took 16 points from a possible 24. They ended up staying up quite comfortably. They found a bit of a rhythm. Joe Willock coming in from Arsenal on loan ended up being a complete game changer and it looks like he is in the process of, of signing a permanent deal. Um, you've got Alan Samaximam fit and rested after a bit of a complicated season for him last season with COVID and injuries and, and one thing and another. So 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, we all know the issue at, at Newcastle. You know, money isn't spent, that the fans hate the owners, that the fans dislike the manager. It does feel like it, it won't take much for Newcastle to lurch into crisis. And I think in particular, getting, getting Joe Willock in on a permanent deal would be a really good piece of business. All right, West Ham, by contrast, not able to hang on to their kind of second half of the season start. Jesse Lingard, uh, they'll be without him. They'll also be in the Europa League. So does this mean that it's going to be a more difficult campaign this time around? Dom? Well, potentially, but it'd still be quite exciting as well with European competition thrown in there for a club that doesn't always have that. And of course, they've got the no, you're right. The possibility, I guess, of playing their feeder club, Slavia Prague, at some stage in the uh, in the Europa League. Is that is that feasible? I think I think they've dropped into that draw. Um, I'm I'm surprised they haven't made signings of significance as yet. I suspect they will come. Um, before the the deadline goes, because they they will need to bark up that squad, and the loss of Lingard will be felt. But you know they've got a very good manager in charge, and they've got very very good players, not least their their Czech contingent, and uh, fully expect them to to kick on from last year as well. It was Newcastle who actually won both meetings with West Ham last season, so intriguing. Anyway, that's coming up on Sunday, and Natalie, none of this actually matters. Yeah, opening weekend, <laughs> no, it's really. all yeah. You know, Yes, exactly. Yeah, D- don't hold on to this uh, until the end of the season, you know. No, no. Uh, very good. Uh, that notwithstanding, we will be getting together on Sunday evening to lay down our thoughts on the opening round of fixtures for your enjoyment on Monday morning. But that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show. So many, many thanks to Dom, Natalie, and Tom, and producer Charlie, and you listener, crikey. Monday morning, we return again. Join us then and have a super weekend in the meanwhile. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.